We'll try that out. I'll switch to a handheld if I need to. All right. Go ahead and take your Bible. Let's turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. As you're turning there, I'm going to go ahead and give my warning that I give every Sunday now. We have children in our sanctuary, and it is a blessing. Um, parents do not feel like they are a burden. They are where they need to be. Um, if they get loud, I will get louder. All right? Um, we want the children with you. So they can watch mommy and daddy worship. They can watch mommy and daddy open their Bible and read their Bibles. And they can see that this is a part of their worship. All right. First Timothy chapter three. If you're there, say word. word. Awesome. We're going to look at verse two and we're just going to look at seven words. So go ahead and stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word. This is what God's word says. Therefore, An overseer must be above reproach. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful for your word. And God, I pray that as we proclaim your word this morning, that you would use me as you see fit, Lord. God, I am not worthy to be up here, especially to preach a message on being above reproach. And so I need you this morning. I need your grace, your strength, your words. Use me as you see fit. We ask this all in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Overseers must be above reproach. The title of my sermon this morning, actually, I stole it from Leto. He told me this week it'd be a greater sermon. It's uh, Under Shepherds Above Reproach. That's the title. Or if, you, if you're looking there, Under Shepherds Who Are Above Reproach. Um, we are looking at the qualifications for overseers. Now, when we look at the word overseers, we're looking at overseers, elders, and pastors. Those words in Scripture are used inter- interchangeably. I am an elder at Red Cross Baptist Church. And so you're going to see me using the word elder because I'm trying to get you used to the word elder. Okay? So here we're talking about elders. Now, if we were to pass out a questionnaire handed, if we were to pass one out and were to ask you, if we were to ask you what is the most important quality that your pastors or elders need to have, what would you say? Please don't answer out out loud. But if you were to answer that, really, just think, what would you want to say? Would you want to say that this pastor or elder, that that let's say Red Cross is looking for one. I hope you're not, okay, because you have one. Let's say Red Cross is looking for a pastor, and you had an opportunity to say, this is what I want to see in him. What's the most important quality? Is it is it a gifted preacher? Is it family man? Is it well-dressed? Is it traditional? Is it a KJV onlyist? What is the quality that you want to see in that pastor elder? There are many qualities that you could mention that you could write down, but Paul shows us here in 1 Timothy 3 the most important quality, the most important qualification, and that is that elders, overseers, must be above reproach. Now, the reason why Paul mentions this qualification first in this entire text of qualifications, we're looking at qualifications. I'm switching. This is driving me crazy. There we go. All right. The reason why Paul is mentioning this qualification first in the text is because this qualification is basically a summary 
of the rest of the qualifications. When we look at 1 Timothy 3 and we see all of the, all of the qualifications of overseers, he says that overseers must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household well, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert. Or he must not, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. All of these qualifications are summarized firstly that an overseer must be above reproach. Now what does that mean? Above reproach, it it can sound so minimal. It can sound so easy. But it really means without blame. That an elder is to be blameless. That there is to be nothing in this person's life that would bring any argument against him. Now listen, church, we're not talking about perfection here. All right, we're not talking about perfection. If you find the perfect pastor, you're at the wrong church. That dude is a liar. All right, you are not going to find the perfect pastor. We're not talking about perfection Someone who is above reproach isn't sinless, okay? But someone who is above reproach sins less. Do you hear what I say? Someone who is above reproach isn't sinless, but they do sin less. And it's because they're pursuing holiness. They're pursuing Christ. Now, Paul's telling Timothy that anybody who aspires to be an elder must be above reproach. And he's showing Timothy this in contrast with what we've been looking at at the first couple of chapters of 1 Timothy. He's showing it in contrast to the false teachers that are already there. He's trying to show Timothy this is what an elder looks like, not what you've got. So here's what Paul's trying to tell us today. This is what Paul says. He He's telling us that healthy churches have elders who are godly examples of Jesus. Healthy churches have elders, have pastors, who are godly examples of Jesus. They're above reproach. But church, here's what I'm wanting you to see within this text. We're not looking at just a uh, pastoral qualification of elders Pastors are not the only ones in the church that are called to be above reproach. Every Christian in the church is called to be above reproach. Every believer is called to be above reproach. This is what they're to strive for daily. They're fighting daily to be Christ-like. Now, this, this message, it is so easy for me to preach this message in a way to where I'm telling you, you've got to do better. You need to repent of your sin more. You need to, you need to act better. You need to obey the word better. But that's not what we're going to be looking at this morning. Because that's a man-centered gospel. Instead, what we need to be looking at is how is it that Christ gives us that availability, that ability to where we can be above reproach. Because it is only through Christ that we're able to even do that. So I'm speaking to every Christian in the room. I'm not speaking just to me and Leto here. 
speaking to all of us. We are all called to be godly examples of Jesus within this life. First Peter 2 9, Peter says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That's who you are. You are called and set apart. Second Corinthians 5 20, Paul says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. We are representatives of Jesus. Colossians 1, 21 through 23. Paul says, In you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death to do what? In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Paul's not talking to elders here. He's talking to the church. So as I do preach this morning on how elders are to be above reproach. Please hear me, church. We are all called to be above reproach. All right, so I've got two things that we're going to look at of how elders are above reproach. First, they have Christ-like character. Second, they have Christ-like conduct. Those are your two points. Christ-like character and Christ-like conduct. So let's look at at the first one. They have Christ-like character. They have Christ-like character. What are we looking at here with Christ-like character? We're looking at their heart. They have a heart that is for Christ. Now, church, it's so easy for you and for any church to find a guy who will lead them and can do all the right things. They can be a gifted communicator. They can have all the the degrees possible. They can have the entire Bible memorized for all we care. And their heart still be far from God. They can still have a heart that is not for Christ, but is for themselves. So we're not just talking about how an, how an elder acts. We're talking about who an elder is. We're talking about his heart, his character. They are to have a heart that is for and is pursuing Christ. If your elder is not, if your pastor is not pursuing Christ, if they're not living a holy life, he's wasting your time. Absolutely wasting your time. I'm wasting my time preaching the truth of Christ if I'm not pursuing Christ? Why would I need to be preaching somebody I don't even know? You can see the heart of Christ in the life of a pastor. His love for Christ should be infectious. It should be contagious. Have you ever, have you ever hung out with somebody, a friend or a family member who loves Jesus and you know they love Jesus? And when you leave them, you feel like, man, I wish I could love Jesus like that person does. Have you ever hung out with somebody like that where their love for Christ is infectious? Your pastor's love for Christ needs to be infectious. Now listen, when I prepared this sermon this week, this is not easy. I'm not up here saying that I'm all these things. I'm up here saying I should be all these things. I fail. And I'm not the perfect pastor. But this is just what Paul's telling us in this text. I'm preaching to myself this morning just as I'm preaching to you. To be above reproach, church, we must have a new heart. As new creations with new desires, we must have a heart for holiness. A heart that desires to be like Christ. A heart to fight our sin daily. A heart that loves what God loves and hates what God hates. Church, you're called to have that kind of heart. You are. 
But we can't have this heart on our own. Jeremiah 17.9. I love, I love sharing this verse on Valentine's Day. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You've heard people tell you, follow your heart, right? Don't follow your heart. It is deceitful. Your heart is sinful. But that's why we need a new heart. A heart that Christ has come in and has gripped and has changed and transformed. A heart that Christ has died for. This heart is only available through the blood-bought work of Christ, church. How is it that we're able to have a Christ-like character? By being changed by Christ. By putting our faith and trust in the one who gave his life for us. We are only able to have a heart like Christ by looking to the heart of Christ. And how do we see his heart? On the cross. We see his love for us on the cross, his character on the cross. He's, he's the elder brother who lived above reproach on our behalf. Perfect and sinless and died so that his church may be purchased. So no, we cannot be above reproach by doing better and working harder. We are above reproach by looking to Christ who does that work of grace within us to pursue holiness, to fight our sin daily, to have a heart that is completely sold out for Jesus. Church, if the pastor, according to Hebrews, is to be the overseer of the souls of the church, he must first be a man with a heart for the chief overseer of his own soul. He is to have a heart for Christ, which means he will have a heart also for the bride of Christ. Church, that's why it is so important for the elder pastor to pursue Jesus. Because if he truly loves Christ, he's going to love the bride of Christ. He's going to love the church. If he truly trusts in what Christ says and has done, he's going to proclaim those glories and truths to the church and share it. It is, it is near impossible for somebody to say that they love me, but they hate my wife. How in the world? I mean, like, I get it. Like, she's crazy. But like, how in the world can you love me, but not love my wife? You can't. You can't, because my wife is un, it, it, she's an extension of myself. She's part of my heart. And so you've heard people say that I love Christ, but I don't like the church. That's impossible. Because if you have a heart for Christ, you're going to have a heart for his bride. So you as believers are going to have a heart for the church if you have a heart for Christ. And your pastor should too. Not only should they have Christ-like character, but secondly, they need to have Christ-like conduct. They need to have Christ-like conduct. Now listen, this is, this is a product of having a Christ-like heart. They can have Christ-like conduct and not have Christ-like character. Alright, so I put this second because this is a, this is out of a response to a Christ-like heart. A Christ-like character. Okay? So here we have elders who have Christ-like conduct. What does that mean? It means that pastors 
are supposed to practice what they preach. If I don't have Christ-like conduct, if I, if, if I'm up here preaching one way and then I'm living my life completely opposite throughout the week, what point is that? Really, what, what, what am I doing? They need to be able to practice what they preach. And, and guys, I don't know if you've noticed, but there has been an increase of pastors who have fallen in the church. I'm not talking about pastors who have left because of burnout. I'm talking about pastors who have been fired because of moral failure. Now, you might not see it, but those of us in the evangelical world of Twitter, we see it all the time. Pastors are being fired. They're being sued. There's sexual misconduct. There's mishandling of funds. There's so many things that the pastor is doing wrong that he's being fired for. And it's because they don't have a Christ-like conduct. And they finally find out that their pastor does not have a Christ-like conduct because they did not have a Christ-like character or heart. So church, like I said earlier, you can get a guy in here who can preach all the right things, who can do and say all the right things in the pulpit. But if they don't have a Christ-like heart, it doesn't matter. But they are to also have a Christ-like conduct. They are to practice what they preach. But this is important. Luke 6 tells us, out of the abundance of his heart, the mouth speaks. What is in our heart is going to come out in our mouths and through our hands. What we say and what we do are a response of where our heart lies. Which is why it's so important, church, why we have a healthy church membership here. What am I talking about? I'm talking about church discipline. I know that sounds harsh, but church discipline, as we've been trying to show, church church discipline is for the health of the church. I've got a four-year-old and a seven-year-old, and I've got a seven-month-old that we are fostering. All right, there we go. My four-year-old and my seven-year-old, if I were to let them do whatever they want to do in my house, live however they want to live, let them eat whatever they want to eat, and never have any type of discipline to any type of wrong that they are doing, is that a healthy family? No, it is not. My kids know what discipline is. They've seen it. And through that discipline, they're growing because they're not having a Christ-like conduct. Now, they're not Christians, but we're trying to raise them up in a godly household, preach the gospel to them, show them who Christ is. Church, healthy churches have healthy church membership and healthy church discipline. Why? Christ-like conduct. We are representatives of Christ and of His church. And our church members are representatives of Red Cross Baptist Church. And if they're out living however they want to live, If they're not living according to God's word, how are they representing Red Cross Baptists and how are they representing Jesus? I know it sounds like we are policing people, but we are trying to to protect the health of our church and we're also trying to protect your soul. If we come up and we say, we think you're living in sin, it is not because we're trying to say, you're supposed to live this way, It's because we're saying, you might not know Jesus. 
Because if somebody knows and loves Jesus, they're going to live like it. They're going to act like it. They're going to speak like it. They're going to respond like it. If they truly know who Christ is, they have that Christ-like conduct. And church, your pastor is to be the example of that. The example. First Peter 3 shows us that pastors are to live as examples to the flock. Pastors, through their lives, are to be able to say, just like Paul out of Corinthians, be imitators of me because I am an imitator of Christ. Now, guys, that is hard for me. That is hard for me. Not because I'm, I'm sitting up here saying I'm doing things I shouldn't be doing. But, man, I am a sinner too. And I struggle and I fail daily. There are days where I'm a worse sinner than I am the day before. And it was hard for me to even come up here and preach this passage because, because I don't want you to think that I'm perfect or sinless. But church, as your pastor, as your elders, we are called to live a life as an example. We, you are to be able to look to us as models, not because we dress nice, but to look to us as examples of how to live our lives in this church. And that's why we are to hold pastors accountable. Because out of the abundance of his, ha- of, of his heart, the mouth speaks. What he knows, what he loves, what he cherishes, what he believes, you know by, by how he speaks and by what he does. But that's for every believer too, church. Every believer. So why is this important? Why is it important that pastors should have Christ-like character and Christ-like conduct first off it is because pastors are on the front lines of this spiritual battle they're taking the hardest hits from satan and i'm not i'm not trying to stand up here and say that i've got it harder than you all right i'm not a fan of the of the one-upper people all right i mean like the greatest one-up guy we've got in this in this world is the guy who first stepped on the moon i mean you can't you can't beat that right but when i stand up here i'm not going to sit here and say that i've got it worse than you But your pastors and elders are called to be above reproach because as being on the front lines of the spiritual battle, as we're leading this charge by proclaiming God's word, we're taking the first hits. We're taking the hardest attacks from Satan at times because Satan knows that if he can get the pastor to fall, the church may follow. Satan knows that if that, that if he can get the pastor to mess up or, or to start doubting or to start struggling, he knows the, the church that he's pastoring and leading is going to struggle. So that's why pastors and elders need to be above reproach. Secondly, they need to be above reproach because they're going to be held accountable for how they lead, pastor, and preach. We are. I'm going to stand before God one day and have a different kind of judgment than you because I am leading the charge. I'm having to stand before God and, 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 and seriously be judged for how I handled the text of Scripture. I'm going to be judged for how I led you. I'm going to be judged for how I cared for the people under my, under my care in this church, which is why right now we're trying to find most of them. We have over 350 people on a membership list. 
who have, who have gave a commitment in some way to this church. I'm responsible for them. And we don't know where two thirds of them are. Church, pastors and elders are going to be held accountable for it. Also, pastors, as we, as we preach, when we sin, when we sin according to what God's word says, it looks more hypocritical than if you did. Aren't you a pastor? Aren't you a preacher? We are called to be above reproach. So how, how do we do that? How, how do we be above re, re, reproach? How do we as believers and Christians and pastors and elders, how do we live this way with Christ-like character and Christ-like conduct? First, we need to be submerged in the Word of God on a daily basis. We need to be reading about the promises God has for us. We need to be trying and striving to draw closer to who God is. If we want to have a Christ-like character, don't we need to know who Christ is? What He loved, what He hates. Don't we need to know who God is if we want to obey Him? We need to be submerged in the Word of God, Psalm 119.11, it says this, it says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalms also tells us, how does a young, how does a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word and your promises. Church, we are called to be a people of the word submerged in his word and in the study of who God is. That's how we can be above reproach, but that's not it. What else do we need? Secondly, we need to be a people of prayer on our knees daily. Oswald Chambers once said that prayer doesn't prepare us for the greater fight. Prayer is the greater fight. We are praying for God to protect us from temptation. I mean, even, even as we look at the Lord's prayer for, for where Christ gave the instruction of how, of how to pray. Church, we, we, we are, we, we are called to ask God to not lead us into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. We are called to ask God to give us this day our daily bread. We are called to ask God to forgive us and help us to forgive others. We are to be a people of prayer. And thirdly, thirdly, we need to be in fellowship with other believers. That's why church is so important. We're not trying to have big numbers. We're not trying to be the largest church in Stanley County. We're trying to show you that having community is valuable for your spiritual health. Being here, being in Sunday school, being at Wednesday night Bible study, being at, being at community groups throughout the area. Church, we are called to be together. This is why COVID has really damaged a lot of what we've strived for over the past couple of years, I'm talking in general, we've isolated so many people. Depression and anxiety has been on the rise. Divorce has been on the rise. So many things are going wrong because people have been isolated from community. Church, we are called to be in fellowship with each other so that we may be encouraged so that we may pray for one another, 
So that, as what we talked about earlier, we may confess our sins to one another. So that we can grow and be more and more like Jesus. Church, even me as a pastor, I need to surround myself with other godly men. I need to have that encouragement. My kids, my kids who they're about five or six years from really hating me because they're about to be teenagers. They're going to need other men in this church who are going to be role models to them. They, they do. Church, we are to be in fellowship with other believers. We are called to have a Christ-like character and a Christ-like conduct. King David, who, as we see in Scripture, was a man after God's own heart. Even King David had to deal with being above reproach. And there was a season where he wasn't. There was a season where he was at home from war, and he saw a lady across the way bathing on the rooftop. King David thought it would be a good idea to invite her over. King David, as some of you know, had had his way. And then she ends up getting pregnant. She's married. So what does King David do? King David tries to get her husband to come home from war, to spend time with his wife so that he can cover up the pregnancy. Instead, this guy, who was the more above reproach than David, sits at the gate, sits at the door, the palace doors, because he feels he needs to be on battle. He doesn't even go and see his wife. So then what does David do? David has that soldier killed. David, who now has Bathsheba and then a child on the way, is confronted by a prophet, Nathan. And Nathan comes up and shares a story. And then David is just conflicted by it. And he's like, you know, yeah, the, the dude who had the lamb, like, 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 he's the one, you know. And then Nathan looks at him and he's like, you're the man. You're the one who was in trouble. You're the one who's done something wrong. And then Nathan, or uh, David, becomes convicted by it. Convicted by it. He's hurt over it. What happens? Because he wasn't above reproach, God took that child. He took that child. David had to be in repentance. David had to look to God. And he recovered from it. He still became a king after God's own heart. Still led, still ruled. But church, we are called as leaders and pastors to be above reproach. And we see what happens when we aren't. There's discipline. For me, if I'm not above reproach, the church needs to let me go. It needs to let me go. But thank God for grace. Thank God that even when we are not above reproach, there's forgiveness. When we've fallen, 
when we've failed, when we haven't had that Christ-like heart and that Christ-like conduct like we've wanted. Christ is still near to us. And He wants to redeem that from us. Christ, who was the one who was above reproach on our behalf, who lived and died on, in our place, want new so that we may live above reproach for Him. Church, I pray this morning that you are above reproach. And I pray that if you aren't, that you would look to Christ, our elder brother, who lived above reproach in our place. That you would trust in Him so that He may give you a new heart if you've never put your faith and trust in Him first. Or maybe you've, you've been far away from Him. Maybe you drifted. Maybe you've been in a season where you haven't been above reproach. When we, I'm not trying to, to put you in fear that, that, you know, God's going to take someone from you. But what I'm trying to show you is, is King David was not living above reproach and God took his son. But yet we see that Christ, the son of God, was given so that we may be above reproach. Toward those of us who have lived in sin since, since birth, fallen, lost, depraved, God, instead of taking our children, gave us His own, His Son, to live and die for us in our place. Look to Him, lean on Him, rest in Him, and run this race with our eyes on the founder and perfecter of our faith as we seek to be above reproach. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good and gracious. I'm so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful for Christ, the one who lived above reproach in our place. But God, you've still called us as believers, as pastors and elders to be above reproach. You've called us to have a Christ-like character and a Christ-like conduct. So Lord, if we are here this morning, and we have lived in a way in which we're not showing a Christ-like character or a Christ-like conduct. God, help us. Convict us. Draw us closer to you. Help us to see our sin and help us to see your grace. God, I pray that you would help us this morning to, to recognize that you have forgiven us of our sin and shame. And God, help us that, that to recognize that you've given your son so that we may rest in Him. So God, I pray that as we go into this time of dedication, that You would help us, God, to commit our lives to You. That You would help us to where we can live above reproach for You, God. We ask this in Your Son's precious name we pray.